This is a very appropriate passage for that, as Paul's doing just that with Timothy. Help us to see your hand at work in our lives. Guide us through this day. It's in your name I pray. Amen. So I don't know if you notice, but this passage that we're looking at here starts right off by making a very stark contrast with the evil worldly tendencies that we've been looking at lately, right? We've been looking at all the bad things that are going on in the world and what the bad guys in the world look like for the last couple of weeks. And then right off, Paul makes a contrast. He says, but thou, this is what these guys look like, but Timothy, you're going to do something different. But thou, do something different. Now, false teachers live and they teach one thing, but Paul's about to show that he lives a different way. And Timothy ought to live a different way as well. Paul has no problem with people looking to his life as an example of faithful living and of faithful ministry. Do you and I have that kind of confidence? Do we have any hesitation with somebody looking at us as an example of faithful life and faithful ministry? Kind of a sobering thought, isn't it? Now, for the last nine verses, our focus has been on perilous times which Timothy is going to have to face. Paul says, Timothy, there's going to be some perilous times. And we've already gone over it. I'm not going to go over it again. In this section, Paul's going to show Timothy the resources that God's given him to be able to handle those perilous times and to handle those tasks. You might recall, remember uh, David facing Goliath? Uh, You remember what Goliath said to David? He, He says... Am I a dog that you come at me with sticks and stones? Those ended up being his last words, you know. Uh, Since a sling and a stone was all David needed when God was with him. God gives us all the resources we need to face perilous times. David was facing perilous times, and a sling and a stone was all he needed. And that little mocking was Goliath's last words. I put a lot of stock in last words. I read a lot. I I have a book that's a collection of people's last words. I enjoy reading last words. I like epitaphs. I wander cemeteries. It's kind of my ghoulish nature. Goliath's last words were a mockery. Timothy might be trying to lead a small church in Ephesus. In the face of Nero's persecution of Christians, Nero wasn't a very nice guy. But God had more resources available to him than he could even imagine. And you know what? The same thing is true for you and me as well. It doesn't matter what you're facing. God's resources are all you need. Now, I don't know if you realize. Did you realize? Let me ask it as a question. Did you realize that when you take a stand for Christ, it might come at a cost? I mean, it's pretty easy. We talk about uh, the dark world that we're in right now, but if we're really honest, it's pretty easy to be a Christian in America, in 21st century America. We don't face any real severe repercussions for it. But at some point, we might. I just want you to be prepared for that. Now, Timothy's had years of preparation, but his years of preparation have not come from Bible school or in a seminary somewhere, but 
rather, Timothy's preparation came in public life as a minister of the gospel under the guidance and direction of Paul. That's where Timothy's preparation came from. He's already grounded in the same scriptures that both Jesus and Paul used. And he didn't have the New Testament, by the way, because Paul's still writing it with him. We're going to talk about that a little bit later. He didn't have it. Now, that lifestyle that he's seen lived out and that he personally has been living out, that fact ought to encourage Timothy, shouldn't it? He's been firsthand watching this. Even though the world around him seems to be getting worse and worse, and the world around us seems to be getting worse and worse, no matter what the mission, Timothy already has all the tools that he needs by God's equipping. And he's seen that firsthand. We're going to talk about that today. So with all that for an introduction, let's get to our study. Let's look at verse 10 again. As I already pointed out, it says, But thou, Timothy, you be different. But thou hast fully known my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, charity, patience. But thou. Now this is a phrase that we've seen Paul use other places when he really needs to grab Timothy's attention. We've seen him use it several times. We saw it in uh, chapter 2 and verse 1 if you want to back up and look at that. We, uh, we will see it again in verse 14 in the same chapter. We're going to see it again in chapter 4, verse 5. That's four times in this book. Timothy shouldn't be intimidated by the opposition in the world. There will be opposition in the world. Don't be intimidated by it. Instead, Timothy should stand in stark contrast to them by pursuing Paul's teaching and pursuing Paul's example. That's how Timothy ought to live his life. That's how you and I ought to live our lives. So Paul says that, Timothy, you hast fully known my doctrine. Timothy is intimately familiar with Paul's teachings. Intimately familiar with Paul's teaching, probably more than anybody else. Paul recognizes that Timothy is a very close and very loyal disciple, and he's saying as much right now. Remember, Timothy has been working for Paul, with Paul for 10 years, at least 10 years, probably closer to 20 years at this point. I, Timothy was certainly older than 30, probably closer to 40 at this point. He's been a follower of God's word since he was a child. We see, we're going to see that when we get to verse 15. Let's look at it. And that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which were able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. We'll teach about that in another week or so. Since he was a boy, Timothy's known the Bible. For the last 10 to 20 years, he's been working closely with Paul. Timothy shouldn't be pushed around by these false teachers and the world's problems, should he? Now, we've talked a lot as we've gone through the books of Timothy about exactly what Paul meant when he speaks of his doctrine. So I'm not going to spend a lot of time and detail on it right now. But I want to remind you that as you read the letters that Paul wrote, we get a very broad picture of what those doctrines might entail. We get every aspect of what good Christian doctrine ought to be. But as far-reaching as they are, they all focus on one thing. It doesn't matter which doctrine, whether you're 
about doctrine of salvation, whether you're doctrine of doctrine of sanctification, you pick a doctrine. They all focus, they come back to one thing, and that is the foundation of the gospel. The foundation of the gospel. Remember something else, that in several of those letters that Paul's written, Paul wrote most of the New Testament, and Timothy is mentioned as working with Paul to write them. Look at the uh, 2 Corinthians, look at Philippians, look at Colossians, look at both 1st and 2nd Thessalonians, and look at Philemon. In every single one of those, Paul says, and Timothy here is helping me, and Timothy here is writing this with me, and Timothy here is writing this with me, Timothy here is writing this with me. Timothy was writing those doctrines down. If anybody knew Paul's doctrine, Timothy did. We think of it, oh, Paul wrote 1st and 2nd Thessalonians. Well, the truth is, Paul and Timothy wrote 1 and 2 Thessalonians. Timothy is certainly aware of the doctrines that Paul taught. But another thing Timothy was familiar with was Paul's manner of life. And he mentions that right here. Thou hast fully known my doctrine and manner of life. See, Paul's teaching wasn't just a bunch of words. I mean, I could write down a bunch of words. But Paul's teaching was a way of life as well. And that's something totally different, isn't it? See, early Christians were known as followers of the way. Those of the way. That meant they had a different lifestyle than the world around them, didn't it? They had a different way a way of life. They followed a different path. See, Paul's life was a life with a very focused mission. And what was that mission? To share the gospel with the world around him. I told you, every single aspect of Paul's theology comes right back to the foundation of the gospel. The gospel was Paul's foundational principle. It guided his lifestyle. It guided his theology. It guided every single thing he did. And you know what? It ought to for you and me as well. And it says purpose. So we ought to take a look at Paul's purpose in life. Now, uh, the Greek word here is prothesis. Prothesis. The idea is that of a very firm resolve. I am resolute in this. He's determined to live out the reality of Jesus Christ the Messiah. In fact, Jesus himself taught uh, that no man having put his hand to the plow and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. That's what Jesus taught. Uh, go ahead and look it up yourself, Luke chapter 9, verse 62. I'm not going to turn there myself. And Paul used plowing as an illustration of Christian life when you go to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 10. This idea of plowing, it would be something you'd see all the time in those days. I mean, you see it when you're driving across upstate New York and out in Ohio and stuff. They plow, they start making a furrow, and they go from here, and they go to there, and they just go straight. That's how our life ought to be. You know, in some of these big, big farms out west, the tractors are guided by GPS. They drive exactly straight. They don't even need a guy to steer them. They just need a guy to hit the brake when they're going to hit something. Uh, the, the tractor drives itself by GPS. It goes absolutely dead straight. That's what Paul's saying. 
That's how our lives ought to be. One single focus. Now, I'm not saying that Paul was perfect. Don't, don't be putting words in my mouth that I'm saying that Paul lived an absolutely perfect, straight, never wavered life. Paul was a human being. But he definitely didn't swerve from this determination very much in his Christian walk. And Paul's a fine example for Timothy and a fine example for us to follow in walking a straight and a narrow walk. In fact, I don't believe we could find a better example for us to follow. But then, Paul refers to his faith. You've fully known my doctrine, my manner of life, purpose, faith. Now, we already saw back in 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 12 that Paul regards himself and Timothy as sharing the same faith. Remember that? Let's, let, this would be worth our while to go back. 1 Timothy 1, 12. He says, And I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who enabled me for that he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry, who was before a blasphemer and a persecutor and injurious, and I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. And he goes on, uh, what verse was it where he, I'm not going to take the time to read it all. Uh, if you continue on down, he, he mentions that Timothy shares in that same faith. And I'm, I'm, I lost the verse and I, I can't find it again. I'm not going to take a lot of time on that. We've talked about this many, many, many times. Uh, and I'm not going to go into a lot of detail on it. But this is more than simply a believing faith that Paul's talking about here. This is faith that proves itself in actions what James would call faith that is exercised. Now, I don't really care what you might believe in your mind. You can believe whatever you want in your mind. That's fine. But if I don't see it in your life, then it's just theoretical, isn't it? You can believe anything you want. But if I don't see you living your life based on that principle, it's just a theory. Paul had the same idea. And here, he's reminding Timothy that he has a faith that demonstrates itself in actions. Now, next thing Paul mentions is his long-suffering. Long-suffering. The Greek word here is macrothumia. Macrothumia. Macro, a lot of. Thumia, a lot of thumia. A lot of endurance, shall we say. In other places, Paul describes this as an attribute of God. That idea of stick to a constant endurance. Uh, let's look at Romans chapter 2 and verse 4. <clears throat> Talking about God, Romans chapter 2 and verse 4. He says, Or despisest thou the riches of his goodness and forbearance and long-suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance. While we're in Romans, turn over to Romans chapter 9, verse 22. Another case where long-suffering is an attribute of God. Romans 9, 22. What if God, willing to show his wrath... And to make his power known, 
fitted with much long-suffering, the vessels of wrath fitted to destruction. God has great long-suffering. And you know what? Paul's shown that same attribute in his own life. In 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 16, we saw that long-suffering was attributed, described as an attribute of Christ. In fact, let's look back at it. Uh, 1 Timothy 1, 16. Howbeit, for this cause I obtained mercy, that in me first Jesus Christ might show forth all long-suffering for a pattern to them which should hereafter believe on him to life everlasting. Long-suffering is an attribute of God. Long-suffering is an attribute of Christ. Paul here is pointing to long-suffering demonstrated in his own life as an inspiration to Timothy. Timothy, you've seen the long-suffering macrothumia in my life. I have endured many things, way more than might be expected. Timothy, you need to do the same thing. And it's something that ought to be present in each of our lives as well. As soon as we hit a bump on the road, we shouldn't be sitting around, why, God, why did you send me this? We ought to be showing a little macrothumia, a little bit of long-suffering, endure it. See, Paul's going to remind Timothy of the importance of that later on. We're going to come back to this idea, chapter 4 and verse 2. I'm not going to cover that right now. We'll get to it later. There will always be times when we as Christians are going to be tempted to cut corners and take shortcuts. And Paul has demonstrated a determination to see things through the right way. That's what long-suffering is. Endure, do it right, get it done. That's the idea. But then, it's not all just long-suffering. He says charity. And we can all get on board with that. Look at Paul's charity. The word here is agape. That's God's love. Paul uses this word 71 times in his letters. Not one of Paul's writings fails to mention agape. Not one letter that Paul wrote does he fail to mention agape. That kind of makes that a key theme in Paul's life, doesn't it? If he mentions it every single time he takes pen to paper, Paul lives his life imitating the love of God in his life. What does agape mean? It means a self-sacrificing love. It's a love that gives of itself for something or someone else. That self-sacrificing love characterizes Paul's life. And he's reminding Timothy it ought to characterize his life as well. And you know what? It ought to characterize our lives as well. And then he speaks of patience. And you might say, how is patience any different than long-suffering? Aren't patience and long-suffering the same thing? Well, the answer is, it's a totally different word in the Greek. Hupomone. Uh, Hupomone. Uh, you might see it written out as hypomone because the uh, English letter Y is really the, uh, pronounced as a U in Greek. Uh, we know hypo, right? An excess of, mone. Again, it's a, very similar to macrothumia, but re whereas macrothumia is more 
in enduring stresses that come from people more often. This is stresses that come from circumstances more. It's a very rare word. Uh, Paul only uses it two other times in the pastoral epistles. Patience. We, we see other thing, times where the King James translates patience, patience, patience. Paul only uses it two other times. Uh, 1, Corinthians, uh, 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 11 and Titus chapter 2 and verse 2. We're going to get to both of those later. Uh, but Paul's about to talk about, we're going to see a list of some of the sufferings that he had to deal with. And it took patience to make it through those sufferings. Remember I said uh, this word patience is more dealing with circumstances, the circumstances of his suffering. And I bet it took patience. The idea of the, in this word is that of endurance through hardships, through very hard circumstances, whereas macrothumia was more endurance through difficult people. This is endurance through difficult times. We all see difficult people. We all see difficult times, don't we? It doesn't matter. We need to push through. Do you see here, as Paul lists these things, he's not calling Timothy to do anything that he himself, Paul, hasn't already demonstrated. Timothy, you've looked at my life. You know my doctrine. You've seen my manner of life. You've seen the purpose and determination, the resolute determination that I have to make the gospel my focus. You've seen my faith. It's been an exercise faith, not a theoretical faith. You've seen my long suffering. I've endured everything anybody has thrown at me. You've seen my love, self-sacrificing love, and you've seen my patience. Through no matter what, I've been shipwrecked, Timothy. Timothy, you were shipwrecked with me. Do you remember these things? Timothy, uh, Paul isn't calling Timothy to anything he hasn't already demonstrated in his own life. Verse 11. Let's talk about some of those things he had to endure. Persecutions, afflictions which came unto me at Antioch, at Iconium, at Lystra. Timothy, you remember Lystra, right? We'll talk about that. What persecutions I endured, but out of them all the Lord delivered me. Paul continues his list with two more attributes he's demonstrated in his Christian life. The first is persecutions. Now, when I think of this, I can't help but remember that persecutions was one of the things that Paul lists in Romans 8.35 that cannot separate us from the love of God. Remember, he goes through all these, I'm determined that neither death nor... Uh, he, and he goes, he goes, I can't remember how it all goes. Let's, let's look at it, all right? Persecutions is in that list, though. Uh, Romans 8.35. What shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? None of these are going to separate us from the love of Christ. No matter how hard the persecution might get, it will not separate us from God's love. That's consolation, isn't it? Now, Paul has suffered some very hostile receptions. Some of the towns he went to, he was not treated very nicely. 
he suffered some violent reactions to his ministry. Thrown in jail in Philippi. In fact, when you want to get right down to it, brass tacks, Paul is just about, I believe, hours from now, just about to lose his life for the sake of the gospel. Right after he's done writing, I believe 2 Timothy was the last act Paul did. He, I think he set the pen down, and then the head man came and took his head off. Paul's about to lose his life for the sake of the gospel. But has that stopped him? No. As his very last act on earth, he's writing a letter to encourage Timothy. That's self-sacrificing, isn't it? That's agape love, isn't it? That's long-suffering, isn't it? The other thing he mentions is afflictions. Now, in the New Testament, this word's used to describe the passion and the suffering of Christ. Now, Christ had some afflictions, didn't he? I mean, basically, the last 36 hours of his life were pretty, pretty rough afflictions. But just as Jesus was faithful through all that was thrown his way, Paul is going to be faithful through everything that comes his way as well. Paul's just about to be executed, just as Christ didn't waver right to the cross. Paul's not going to waver right to the chopping block. And Timothy, I don't want you to waver either. I already told you how Timothy met his end. At the age of 80, he was stoned to death, and then his body was dragged around through the uh, streets of Ephesus behind a horse. Timothy did a pretty good job of staying straight to the gospel, and I think this encouragement Paul's writing to him was part of his inspiration. Now, Paul mentions some memorable locations where some of these things happened to him. He says, Timothy, you remember Antioch, Iconium, Lystra, all of those were cities that Paul visited on his first missionary journey. By the way, that was before Timothy joined him on his second journey. Timothy joined him on his second journey. But Lystra, Lystra, I know, would have rung a bell with Timothy. How do I know that? It's where Timothy was from. That's Timothy's hometown. Uh, you can see that if you want to look up Acts chapter 16, verses 1 and 2. Timothy was from Lystra. Timothy was well aware that suffering had been a part of Paul's ministry since the very beginning. Remember, Antioch, Iconium, Lystra, those were all Paul's first journey out. If Paul was suffering from his first journey out, he suffered in his second journey out. He suffered in his third journey out. Then he went back to Jerusalem, and now he's about to die. Every single time Paul stepped out the door, he was suffering. This suffering and persecution has been a part of Paul's ministry since the beginning. But notice something else. It says, but out of them all the Lord delivered me. So, let's ask a question. Does that mean that God kept Paul from suffering injury and harm? No. No, of course it doesn't. In fact, in Lystra, 
Remember, Timothy's hometown, Lystra, first missionary journey, Paul was stoned and left for dead. Let's look at that passage. Acts chapter 14. By the way, I think this is where uh, Timothy met Paul. Acts chapter 14, verses 19 to 20. We're in Lystra, but notice this. But there came thither certain Jews from Antioch and Iconium. Those are the two cities that Paul's already just mentioned, isn't it? He'd stopped at Antioch, then he stopped at Iconium, and these Jews followed him from Antioch. They followed him to Iconium. Now they followed him to Lystra. It's the same guys who persuaded the people, and having stoned Paul, drew him out of the city, supposing he had been dead. Howbeit as the disciples stood round about him, he rose up and came into the city, and the next day he departed with Barnabas to Derbe. These guys, Paul goes to Antioch, gets persecuted by the Jews, goes to Iconium, gets persecuted by the same Jews, where they picked up some other Jews, who then followed him to Lystra. And finally they stoned him, left him for dead. I believe he did die. I believe he was miraculously raised from the grave. And that Lystra is Timothy's hometown. It's not unlikely that Timothy was an eyewitness to that stoning. I don't think I'm reaching too far to say that. I believe Timothy witnessed that stoning. Timothy, remember those guys from Antioch? Remember those guys from Iconium? Remember what happened in your hometown, Timothy, where I was stoned and left for dead? But out of that, God delivered me. Sure, I was stoned, and boy, did it hurt. But God delivered me, didn't he? You remember that, Timothy? God delivered me out of that. The fact is, God preserved Paul through all of those trials so that he could continue preaching the gospel. That's the real promise, you see. God never promised to make our lives a walk through the flower garden, did he? Our lives, our Christian walk, may have some very real, very present dangers, right? But trust him, and he will see us through it all. Do you trust him? Mind if I close in a word of prayer? Lord, we do thank you for your long-suffering and for your agape, self-sacrificing love for us and for your preservation. You've preserved your people throughout the ages. Yep, you've brought them through some tough times, but you're an ever-faithful God. We thank you for being so faithful and true, being the God who changes not. It's in your name we pray. Amen.